welcome to Mars Messina Presents. I am Mars and today is Saturday, February 10th, 2024. And we have reached episode 139. And I would like to wish one and all a happy Chinese New Year, the year of the dragon. Um, I hope it brings you peace of mind. I know life is hard for many of us and getting harder. It's just a crazy world out there. Um, but there can still be luck. There can still be joy and fulfillment, even in the midst of sorrow. However, today we're going to talk about the form and the function, a very unique form and function of the Chicago River. And this might sound like a kind of a boring subject, but it is not. I implore you on your bucket list, if you have not been, to take a little boat trip down the Chicago River, um, preferably with somebody who's versed in Chicago history, and they can tell you about the river. Like the architecture of its namesake city, this natural body of water was subsequently engineered by the innovative minds of the city's early leaders that both preserved it and made it a critical feature for the entire nation's travel and commerce 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 of businesses chicago has persevered both because of and in spite of the chicago river Native American peoples traversed the uh, Chicago's waterways, or what we now know as Chicago, traversed those waterways for hundreds of years before the arrival of, of the first Europeans. Um, hundreds, maybe thousands of years. Um, <clears throat> like I said, before the arrival of the first Europeans. Among these Native people were the woodland, the archaic, and the upper Mississippian peoples. And later after them came the Miami and the Potawatomi. The Algonquin people who came along with the Potawatomi um, called the slow and meandering river that we now know as uh, the Chicago River. They called it the, I think it's called the Chicago, Chicago. Uh, I don't know how to speak Algonquin, but phonetically, it looks like Chicago. This is a meandering, slow river that leads to the Great Lakes. And they called it this in reference to the pungent wild leek that grew along its bank. Its bank. Okay, so I think in, in that language, the Alg Algonquin language, Chicago means like smelly onion or big onion. Um, ergo, the pungent leaks and the, the smell that came from them. And back then, the area teemed with um, wildlife like beavers and black bears and foxes and deers. In 1673, a French missionary and a French-Canadian explorer by the name of Father Jacques Marquette and Louis Joliet those are two names we know in Chicago, Marquette and Joliet. 
Okay. They were returning to Canada after a mapping exposition expedition that had brought them along the Mississippi River into present-day Arkansas and Mississippi. They paddled upstream in their birch bark canoes. They were headed toward the Fox River in Green Bay until some local Miami people, not Miami, Florida, but the Native Americans, Miami, local Miami people tipped them off to a valuable shortcut. Okay, if they headed instead for the Illinois and Des Plaines rivers, they would come to a portage where they could carry their canoes across a few miles of swampy marshland and then arrive at the Great Lakes in a fraction of the time of their original journey. And it's that shortcut. That shortcut could accelerate travel and trade between the Great Lakes and the Mississippi River, the two major transportation networks on the North American continent. So, a city that could be built on the mouth of that very canal would be poised for greatness. And word of the Chicago Portage spread quickly and it soon became a popular route for French and British fur traders and missionaries, and also the Dutch. Sometime in the late 1770s, Jean-Baptiste Pont du Sable, or as we say here, du Sable, okay? Another name that is very important to Chicago history. Now, he was a black man of French and African descent. And his wife was a Potawatomi woman named Kitahawa. Yeah, that's more like a Kitahawa. They became the first known settlers to build a permanent home and raise a family on the banks of the Chicago River. And leveraging Kitahawa's kin networks, they opened what became a highly successful trading post along the northern bank of the river near the lakefront. And today, um, that is the site of the Michigan Avenue Bridge. And there is even a plaque up there that, that posts that this was that trading post. And there was a war there. Anyway, um, so, but at the time, um, right where the North Avenue Bridge was, a small community was built there. In 1795, as part of the Treaty of Greenville, a confederation of Native American tribes granted the United States. Okay, it's their land. So they granted the United States rights to a six-mile parcel of land at the mouth of the Chicago River. Soon after, in 1803... The U.S. military built, and after a devastating battle with the Potawatomi, rebuilt an outpost. And you know it as Fort Dearborn. Fort Dearborn was erected across the river from the old Dusab estate to guard the Chicago Portage and formally claim the territory for the young United States of America. 
At that time, the Chicago River turned south at what is now known as Michigan Avenue, and this forced sailors to navigate around a sandbar in the shape of an elephant's trunk to get in and out of the harbor. So this kind of travel, this kind of um, landscape made, um, was particularly difficult for large vessels, which would drop anchor outside of the harbor and then send their goods to shore on smaller ships. In the second half of the 19th century, as the city enjoyed an industrial boom, the river was mistreated, like harshly mistreated. We're talking waste, we're talking sewage that would drain into the lake and the drinking water of the city became polluted, leading to outbreaks of typhoid and other waterborne diseases. And there's a persistent myth that states that during a particularly disastrous storm in 1885, waste from the sewage system was washed into the drinking water inlets, causing an epidemic that killed approximately 12% of that time period Chicagoans. And while no um, such disaster um, or epidemic was officially recorded. The sanitary district of Chicago was formed four years later to tackle the city's sanitation problems. And then an idea came to uh, the city planners that they should reverse the flow of the river away from the lake. And that had been actually unintentionally attempted in 1871 when the existing Illinois and Michigan Canal was deepened, unexpectedly pulling water in to the Chicago or pulling in water from the Chicago River. Although the effects were only temporary, it did plant the seed for a solution. In order to achieve a permanent reversal of the flow of the river, the city began constructing a new canal to join the Chicago River with the Des Plaines River, which would flow into the Illinois River and eventually join the Mississippi River. This idea would also benefit the city by providing a continuous transportation link from the Great Lakes to the Gulf of Mexico via the Mississippi. So that's brilliant, okay? While the idea was relatively simple, using gravity to make water flow from the river into the continually deepening canal and then into another river, the construction was not easy. Beginning in 1872, the main channel, or the first phase, of the Chicago Sanitary and Ship Canal took eight years to complete with nearly 40 million cubic yards of earth and rock um, being removed all along the 28-mile stretch. And this project required like state-of-the-art techniques, um, which became known as the so-called Chicago School of Earth Moving. 
And this was also used in the 1914 construction of the Panama Canal. By the turn of the century, the turn of the 20th century, the first phase of the canal was open with the river permanently reversed and the waste problem solved. So this once meandering stream, now known as the Chicago River, it was straightened, it was dredged, it was channelized, and it was re-engineered re to meet the needs of this growing metropolis. The main stem of the river was deepened to support a robust shipping industry, and bridges were built to accommodate um, people coming and going throughout the city. Construction continued uninterrupted, and the canal was extended several times, including the building of other canals to support and perfect the system. And like I said, with the reversal of the river, the water supply improved greatly, and the health of the city improved with it. But the canal did not end Chicago's drinking water challenges. Several growing lakefront communities continued dumping their waste into Lake Michigan. So the sanitary district's jurisdiction was expanded and additional channels and canals were constructed to the north and the south of the city to redirect the flow away from the lake. They included the eight mile North Shore Channel and that would happen in 1910. And then in 1922, the 16-mile Cal-SAG channel. Additional piping was laid so that they could divert wastewater to treatment plants and filter it before it reached the river. And today, there are seven treatment plants scattered throughout what is now referred to as the Chicago area waterways. Now, Chicago is known globally not just in the United States, but globally as one of the best places for water supply, which is extremely important. Okay, now New York and LA um, apparently have a better water supply than Chicago does, but uh, Chicago is up there with the innovations. Um, they rank very high. Um, globally, like within the top 20. Actually, all three of the big cities, New York, LA, Chicago, rank very high um, for having the best water supply. Anyway, as Chicago's downtown riverfront and lakefront were being reimagined and redesigned, tour boats increasingly sailed across freighters and other industrial vessels. In 1915, there's a vessel called the SS Eastland. Um, that boat tipped over, resulting in one of Chicago's greatest tragedies and one of Chicago's most famous ghost stories because more than 800 people were killed. Um, and this happened on July 24th, 1915. <clears throat> and they were very close to the shore, only 20 feet away from shore. And what happened that morning of July 24th, 
1915, there were 2,500 Western Electric employees. Um, many of them were young people. Many of them were immigrants. Um, they were heading, or yeah, they were heading across the lake for a company picnic in Michigan City, Indiana. So they were docked in Chicago on the Chicago River, and the Chicago River leads out to Lake Michigan, and that was going to sail them across the lake to Indiana. It is unlikely any of them knew of Eastland's longtime reputation of being an unstable ship. It had been remodeled and um, revamped several times to accommodate more and more passengers. And a concrete deck had been added above the water line. And then, um, because the Titanic disaster happened just three years earlier, they added several lifeboats to the top of the ship, which made it even more top-heavy. So the SS um, Eastland rolled over onto its side into the Chicago River just moments before it was scheduled to leave the dock. Some passengers managed to scramble onto the slippery metal hull where, um, where they were awaiting rescue, and several other along the top deck jumped or fell into the river. Now, the river at this time, it had been cleaner than it was before, but it was still filthy. And some of those who jumped quickly drowned, while others clung to boxes and other floating objects thrown by, um, by uh, witnesses. But then there were passengers who were trapped below the decks, and they suffered the worst. Rescuers cut holes in the ship's hull and saved a few of them, but most of them suffocated or drowned. Elsewhere along the river, oh, and by the way, that um, people say, you know, like, it's really beautiful at that, at that point in the river now. There's a river walk. Um, the architecture is wonderful. People say they still hear screaming when they walk that portion of the river walk where the Eastland had been docked to this day. Anyway, elsewhere along the river, further out from the lakefront, the river remains something to be tolerated rather than enjoyed. The opening of Chicago's first wastewater treatment plant in 1828, and I'm sorry, let's jump ahead to 1928. Um, it reduced the amount of raw sewage, but there was still um, chemicals and byproducts that had been, um, you know, tossed into the river. Um, Riverside real estate was cheap and river wards dominated by pollution and a bad stench were still some of the poorest neighborhoods of the city. And that is in complete contrast to what you see now. Um, riverfront property is at a premium and rich people now live along the river. But back then it was the poorest because that river was so filthy and stinky. And a portion of the river is known as the Bubbly Creek. And the reason it's called the Bubbly Creek is because it ran um, near the stockyards where all the slaughterhouses were. And um, animal carcasses would be thrown into the river 
and uh, when those um, carcasses biodegraded, like the gases would escape and the river would bubble. And there's still points of the river that still bubble, even though the river is much cleaner today, but you still see it to this day. Anyway, aided by the deindustrialization of the mid 20th century, a growing sense of environmental stewardship, federal regulations such as the Clean Water Act of 1972, and yet another round of monumental public works projects. The Chicago River continues to undergo um, improvements in water quality and accessibility. Now, what do you see now? You see, um, you see beautiful plant and vegetation life along the river. You see people kayaking. Um, there's tours along the river, like I had said before. So people are rediscovering and rediscovering really what a beautiful river this is that we have. Um, we've come a long way, but there's still a lot to be done. Um, Today's biggest challenges are the unintended consequences of some of the same monumental engineering fixes that saved the city more than a century ago. The combined storm water and sewage that used to be sent directly to the river is now funneled through water treatment plants before it is released into the river. But population growth and heavy rains continue to overwhelm this system rather than immediately back up into area basements, um, this noxious um, rainwater, uh, the runoff, human waste is diverted instead into old pipes that flow directly into the river. And this is called a combined sewer overflow. When it really rains hard, the locks and gates that were built to slow the flow of the of the of Lake Michigan into the river are thrown open and Chicago's flooded river releases sewage directly into the lake. Now, um, I remember, I don't know if it was last summer, it must have been last summer, I was um, scheduled to go on a kayaking trip on the Chicago River and that very day we had to cancel it because the locks were open which means you had been, you know, paddling down the river and there would have been human waste just all, all around you and it would have stunk to high heaven. So we still have issues, even though they're much more controlled. Now, um, construction of the tunnel and reservoir plan, it's also called Deep Tunnel, began in 1975. The first portion of the massive underground system began functioning in 18, 19, I'm sorry, 1981. It is a project that outdoes even Chicago's forebears in terms of investment. When it is completed uh, in five years from now, 1929, it will cost $3.8 billion, but it should be able to hold up to 20.55 billion gallons of excess water. Now that is water reclamation. The deep tunnel project has reduced the number of um, 
the so-called, um, sorry, the, oh, what is it? I just said it. Gosh, you guys, I've just lost my train of thought. Anyway. Okay, I just lost my train of thought. So what I am going to say is even in areas um, where these waterworks are fully operational, they haven't managed to eliminate, um, you know, um, all the problems that we have. They still haven't, even with millions of dollars, billions of dollars poured into this. So we still continue to have a sewage overflow problem and we will in the future. And this is because of the intense, fast-moving storms that often move through Chicago. So we still cannot uh, get ahead of nature itself. And you could talk to the people in Venice, Italy about trying to get ahead, ahead of nature with their innovations, trying not to drown the city in the lagoon there. So it's not that we're failing, it's just that, you know, nature wins and we have to keep working to keep on top of it. Okay. Mm. The improvements in the Chicago River itself have also helped encourage residential and business development along its banks, including another wave of new high rises, many of them paying homage to Chicago's curves and color. And you will see that in our architecture, especially with the newer buildings, the newer skyscrapers that have been built. These glass skyscrapers that are, they actually have curves in them rather than straight up and down um, to mimic the river that they're built along. Um, we first saw this with the Marina Towers. So there's twin towers that are along the river's main branch. They were built in the late 1960s. And they look like corn cobs. In fact, people call them corn cobs, and that could be a nod to Illinois and, and you know the corn industry here. But it's also a little bit flowing in its architecture. And that's a, a tribute to the river that they are built along. More recently, warehouses in the old Bridgeport neighborhood, once home to immigrant canal diggers and stockyards, have been transformed into art centers. Okay, and um, there's the Bridgeport Art Center built right along the river. In 2016, the Chicago Park District opened up an $8.8 million boathouse, which... Uh, you would find just north of Archer Avenue and just east of Ashland if you are interested in seeing this, okay? And that is the portion of the river known as Bubbly Creek. So yes, you can take a boat out onto Bubbly Creek now. It's clean enough. Now, the last steel mill on the north branch which was called finkel steel that closed in 2014 forever and um it's one of the sites though you can see on the north branch along with the goose island and chicago the Ch chicago oh my gosh 
Chicago Tribune's printing plant. So you could be on a river tour and they will point this out to you. Um, it's right there over on Chicago and Halstead. Okay. Um, and all around there, there's really fantastic office spaces, commercial spaces, real estate, a lot of condos. Um, they want to build more parks. They want to build more river walks. They want to take full advantage of these riverside locations. They want to build bike paths that can take you from the south side of Chicago to the north side of Chicago, where you can stop off if you want to go to work downtown Chicago. Okay. Um, yeah, so innovations continue. Um, improvements continue. Um, also, um, the river continues to support a diversity of wildlife. Okay, so we are now home, or the Chicago River is now home, to the great blue herons, um, to the beavers, to nearly 70 fish species, okay? Um, there's this beautiful park called Ping Tom Park, and it's um, right at the north end of Chinatown. And that opened in 1999, and it's the site of a former former railroad yard. And um, Chinatown is very hustling and bustling, and it really lacked green space. Well, now, like, you, you walk out of um, Chinatown proper into Ping Tom Park, and it's just a little slice of heaven. You can walk there. You can jog. You can bike. You can launch a boat. Um, the one of the uh, water taxis picks you up there and takes you downtown. It's really beautiful. And of course, the aforementioned river walk was completed in 2016. And you could just stroll at the river level all the way to the lakefront. Um, you will um, see ceramic murals down there, okay? Um, celebrating um, celebrating the um, the river's significance to Chicago and its um, its innovators like Marquette and Joliet and um, again you're gonna find kayaks you're gonna even find yachts you're gonna find pontoons um, as you stroll the river um, people on the Riverwalk, they, they dine there because there's restaurants right on the Riverwalk. You sip wine. You can, um, some people, I wouldn't do this, but some people dip their toes into the river in the summertime. I wouldn't do that. I still wouldn't do that. And of course, right at that Michigan Avenue Bridge is where they dye the river green on St. Patrick's Day. So, the Chicago River is a backbone to forest preserves, to parks, to industry, to skyscrapers, to bridges, to homes, and to tourism and commerce. No longer a community detriment, the Chicago River is becoming a symbol of ingenuity and progress as well as a treasured natural resource that will be passed on to future generations. 
And now I would like to conclude today's episode with bedtime stories from the acoustic bookshelf. We are going to read the poem Chicago by Carl Sandburg. Hog butcher of the world, tool maker, stacker of wheat, player with railroads and the nation's freight handler, stormy, husky, brawling, city of big shoulders. They tell me you are wicked and I believe them, for I have seen your painted women under the gas lamps luring the farm boys. And they tell me you are crooked and I answer yes, it is true. I have seen the gunmen kill and go free to kill again. And they tell me you are brutal. And my reply is, on the faces of women and children, I have seen the marks of wanton hunger. And having answered, so I turn once more to those who sneer at this, my city, and I give them back the sneer, and I say to them, Come and show me another city with lifted heads singing so proud to be alive and coarse and strong and cunning. Flinging magnetic curses amid the toil of piling job on job. Here is a tall, bold slugger set vivid against the little soft cities. Fierce as a dog with tongue lapping for action. Cunning as a savage pitted against the wilderness. Bareheaded, shoveling, wrecking, planning, building, breaking, rebuilding. Under the smoke, dust all over his mouth, laughing with white teeth under the terrible burden of destiny, laughing as a young man laughs. Laughing even as an ignorant fighter laughs who has never lost a battle. Bragging and laughing that under his wrist is the pulse and under his ribs the heart of the people. Laughing. Laughing the stormy, husky, brawling laughter of youth, half-naked, sweating, proud to be hog-butcher, tool-maker, stacker of wheat, player with railroads and freight handler to the nation. Until next week, Arrivederci.